Welcome everybody again back to your seats. Well, something a little different tonight. Uh, normally, we are going verse by verse through uh, 2 Corinthians. We will pick up, we are pausing tonight because to bring you a special announcement. Well, well most of you uh, were here on Sunday. How many of you missed Sunday because you wouldn't know what's happening here? See, you guys are on to me already because you know I'm not raising my hand and out of my, myself that I wasn't here on Sunday. Listen, we announced that uh, Pastor Adam was moving over to Children's Ministry Pastor and we hired a new youth pastor, Garrett Robert, and his uh, lovely wife. He's married. He's been married for about a year, right? His year and a half. Woo! <laughs> They're not newlyweds now. And uh, his, his lovely wife, uh, Claire, is here tonight. And his parents and grandparents are here because, uh, come on up here, Garrett. Tall boy, tall man. Now, now, when one person claps, we all clap. So let's try that again. Hey, come on up here, Garrett. That's what I'm saying. All right. So a lot of people asked me uh, yeah. on Sunday, they said, how old is he? Uh, and I said, 17. I, that's what I said. No, I said 16. <laughs> he said, what? You're 23, right? 23. Man. I know. I got the baby face. That's totally, I thought you said I got a baby too. Well, no, I don't have a baby. Not yet. And are you announcing that? No, tonight? we're not announcing that. No rumors. Do not spread rumors. <laughs> I saw uh, one of their moms, your mom, yeah. applauding at the oh, baby. Oh my goodness. Face. Yeah. Hey, so I thought it would be nice. I, you know, I have some motivation here. Uh, we are going to Israel, and I am going to be speaking practically at every stop. Uh, so I need to prepare. And so it would be nice not to have Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4 hanging over my head. Uh, so I said, hey, you're the new guy. So at the staff meeting, yeah. <laughs> I introduced him at staff meeting. He said, by the way, you're preaching on Wednesday night. <laughs> uh, yeah, you guys, come on. <laughs> I didn't really say it like that. I, I said, would you mind sharing yeah, a little? So I said, why don't you share your testimony and maybe your life verse, kind of make that a little bit larger, fit your testimony in that. That way we get the word and we hear your testimony as well. And he had a perfect uh, scripture. He kind of bounced his ideas off of us already. And uh, you know, he's uh, really, he's, uh, he's a good man of God. And he was raised well. Mm -hmm. He was raised by Christian uh, uh, ministry, families, generations on both sides. Mm -hmm. And so uh, he's going to give a little bit more of his testimony. And so just welcome him one more time, Mr. Garrett Robert. Well, 
Thanks, Ross. It is a privilege to be able to be here with you guys uh, this evening and get to share the word of God with you and share my testimony with you. Um, it was definitely a shock at staff meeting when he said, hey, this is Garrett. He's the new guy, by the way, you're teaching on Wednesday. <laughs> but uh, but I, was, I was happy to do it. I love to get to do this. Um, this is where my passion's at. Uh, this is what I actually feel comfortable doing, and I, I love to get to do it. Um, And so I'm happy to be here. It's an honor and it's a privilege. It's always a privilege to get to get into God's word together and to teach it. Um, But it's a little bit more special tonight because you're my new family and and that's super special. And it's nerve wracking, but I'm excited. I'm very excited to be here. And so so be gracious with me. If you came in thinking you were getting Pastor Ross, I apologize (laughs) that you're stuck with me for the evening, but um, hopefully my testimony can be a little bit of an encouragement to you guys. So Um, Like Pastor Ross said, I was born into a Christian family, um, born into the church, literally. Uh, I always make the joke that I was hearing messages at age zero because I was in my mom in the pew listening to the pastor preach. Um, And so I was raised that way, and I've had generations of Christians in my family um, that have been wonderful and pointed me to Christ um, through my childhood. And I was the token Christian church-going kid. I was the pastor's kid. I can count the amount of Sundays that I missed on one hand. Um, I went to Awana and I memorized the verses and I did what everybody on the outside would look at and say, wow, he's a good pastor's Christian little boy. Um, But something was missing. And I didn't truly understand uh, what it was to surrender my life to Christ. And I was really good at kind of playing that church game that I feel like people are good at, which is putting the Christian mask on in front of the church and in front of youth group and in front of the right families. But when I went home, it was harder to keep the mask on. And the mask would come off and my parents and my family kind of got to see where my heart was truly at. And so tonight, in this passage that we're going to be going through, this is the passage that God used to show me, hey, I think you're being a fake Christian. And so hopefully tonight, that can be an encouragement to you. Um, I was in eighth grade when this kind of all came to fruition. I had spent the however many years that was, 13, 14 years being fake, And it got exhausting and it got tiring. And I was in eighth grade hearing this passage that we're gonna be in tonight proclaimed to me and God transformed my life. And that's what happened in eighth grade. And then from there, I've grown and transformed and have a lot to work on still. Um, But it's been amazing to see how God has grown and his grace in my life. So um, turn, if you would, in your Bibles to uh, 1 John 4. And as you go there, uh, let, me, let me pray for us tonight. Father, what a privilege. Uh, it's unbelievable that you would take lost people and make them found. It's unbelievable that you would take a wretch who's dirty and make them clean. Uh, it's, Father, it's... It's incredible that you would take someone who's sinful and make them righteous. And Father, I pray tonight that as we get to dive into your word, that the gospel and that your son would be lifted high and seen as glorious 
and that we would be encouraged and convicted and that it wouldn't just be head knowledge, but that we would leave here people transformed by the word of God. And so, Father, tonight, prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, prepare our eyes to see what you have for us in your word. Amen. Like I said, this is kind of the passage that, that God really showed me the, the fake Christian that I was being because in the book of 1 John, that's his whole entire point of the book. That's kind of his purpose is he writes this to a bunch of churches in Asia Minor and says, you're saying you're a Christian and you're acting like this, but really you're acting this way. And if you're, this is kind of the test, if you're saying this but acting this, you don't actually know God. And in the beginning of his book, he says this, we declare to you, this is John speaking, the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us so that you may also have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And so this is the purpose of 1 John, is he says, we want to have our joy complete. And how we're going to find our joy complete is actually knowing if you have true, genuine fellowship with the Father. And so he writes this book and says, here's the test. Here's the test to see if you have genuine faith with the, and fellowship with the Father. And so this all kind of culminates in our passage tonight which is 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. And it's going to go up on the screen, and you guys can read it and follow along with me. It says this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete." And so we're going to start in verse seven. And what we see here in verse seven is he says, dear friends, beloved, the ones that are dear to me, let us love one another for love comes from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And so we kind of have to define what love is, right? Because love here, he's saying, if you're loving, you're actually born of God and you know God. Well, we know that not everybody who is displaying some sort of love is actually born of God. There are people out there in the world that are displaying what we would call kindness, maybe, or lovingness, but they don't know God. They're not born of God. And so we kind of have to define what love is. We see here that love comes from the Father, it's something that he actually gives to us. It's an ability that he gives to us to be able to give to other people or to display or demonstrate to other people. 
And so God here is the source, the creator, the inventor, the founder, whatever you want to call it, of love. He's the one who's the author and the giver of love. And my favorite illustration of God's love and definition of God's love is found in Philippians 2.5, which says this, let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." That's love, complete, sacrificial. I'm not looking out for my own interests. I just want to sacrifice myself to love you. That's the definition of love here. And so John is kind of saying here, we as humans do not have the ability to genuinely love apart from a relationship with God. We don't actually have the ability to love how God wants us to love, that sacrificial love, apart from a relationship with God. Well, how do we know that? Because love comes from God. We have to be in relationship with God to be able to display that love. And so this was kind of the start of God churning in my head and in my heart and convicting me and saying, you're not showing love how you're supposed to love. You're supposed to be showing sacrificial, genuine, God-like love. And so back when I was in eighth grade and I'm sitting and listening to these passage preached to me, God started to convict And he started to show me, you're not loving people how you're supposed to love. And the biggest example that I had in my life, the person or thing that I could look at to say that's what real love looked like was my little sister. My little sister, who's not little, she's 21, but she's younger than me, so I call her little sister. Um, she, she had an unbelievable ability given by God to love people. And she, I mean, she could go into a grocery store, and this happened so many times. She could go into a grocery store, comes down the aisle with this girl I'm assuming they've known for their entire lives, right? Because she's coming up and she says, hi, this is Christine or whatever her name is. And she starts talking about this girl's life and how they know each other and all these things. And I'm like, oh, how do you guys know each other's school? And she's like, oh no, we met in the dry foods aisle over there. (laughs) I'm like, "How, how do you have that ability to just love people like that? Well, because she had the love of God because she truly knew how to love people the right way. And for me, to be honest with you, it was kind of infuriating at times. Being someone who didn't have the love of God and know that's what I'm supposed to be doing, but I can't do it, it was frustrating. And it, it created bitterness and frustration and anger actually towards my sister because she was the most convicting. She was the the picture of what it looked like to love 
God and to love people how God wants us to love people. And so in my own life, I started to realize my love was fake. My love was not the love that I'm supposed to be showing to people. And we see that in this text as we continue down into verse eight, it says this, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is, this is the idea that he's not only the inventor, the founder, the creator, the designer of love, and not just the giver of love, but he in himself is love. It's his makeup. It's his nature. It's who he is as God is love. So he wasn't just designing this thing and saying, here, humans, try this thing out. I just made it. It's called love. He's going, no, this is who I am. I love. It's in my makeup. It's in my nature. And so if you want to have a relationship with me, this is going to be an outpouring of your life. If you truly know me and you truly have a relationship with me, love is going to be the object that comes out. It's going to overflow. And so we see here, not only is it love that is just God in his nature and in his being, and it's not just love that comes down from God. We have this really kind of terrifying verse right here. In the middle of verse eight, it says, whoever does not love does not know God. And man, that hit me hard. In eighth grade, understanding in my head that I'm thinking I'm a fake Christian and, and knowing that I'm exhausted from putting the Christian mask on and then taking it off and putting it on and taking it off, that was like a wake-up call. Are, Garrett, are you really a follower of Christ? Because there's no love. And it doesn't look like you have relationship with God because God is love. And there's no outpouring. So, so get, where are you? These are the questions that started to go on in my head and the convictions that God really started to grab my heart and, and convict me of and say, Garrett, it's time to look at your life. It's, it's time to make some changes. And the thing that, that was the hardest for me was, it was impossible, right? <laughs> it, it's impossible to love people how God wants us to if you don't have a relationship with him. So I was getting tired and I was getting exhausted. I was, I was coming home and I was like the Tasmanian devil just making crazy ruckus around the house. I, I was even, I even, I had this weird thing where I'd like to spray paint things in my house. I don't know why my parents ever brought spray paint, but I would go out in the backyard and just spray paint G on stuff, G. And my mom would get so frustrated at me for good reason, right? And, and I just, I didn't care. I didn't care about her interests. I didn't care about her time. I didn't care about her money or resource. I was just doing my thing because I was selfish. Again, the greatest example of love for me was my sister. It was my sister. Back when my great-grandpa was alive, his name was Papa, my sister used to go over to his mobile home park 
and drive around on his golf cart with him. And she would have dinner with him and she would play with his little dog who also had dinner with them because they fed their dog steak and mashed potatoes, which I don't know why. <laughs> but my sister would do this and I remember sitting at home thinking, why? What's the point? Like he's old and it smells funny and they don't make good food and his dog's annoying. Like, that is not how I want to spend my time. <laughs> and to be honest, I, I don't know if she really liked doing it either, but she loved him. And she loved going and spending time with him, not because she, it was something that benefited her, but because it benefited him. She loved him how God calls us to love people. And again, it was infuriating for me as an eighth grader watching my sister display the love that I was trying so hard to do but couldn't do because it was impossible without God. My love was selfish. And this is why I thought I was okay. This is why I thought I was okay because I was really good at displaying what the world would look like or even in the church, people that I knew would say, yeah, Garrett loves people because he does Awana and he serves in youth group and he serves in ministries and he serves in this and he's memorized verses. And so people looked at my life and I was pretty good at faking it. But it was all selfish. It was all selfish. I was always wanting something in return. If it was actually an object, I will give you this so you can give me that. Or if it was just my biggest struggle, just acceptance. I just wanted people to give me a pat on the back and a thumbs up and say, Garrett, you're, you're a great Christian kid. You really love people. And, and it got to the point where this verse in chapter eight, you don't know God if you don't love, man, that, that hit hard. And God in his grace and in his mercy transformed my life. And, and, I, and it clicked. And the gospel made sense for the first time, even though I'd heard it a thousand times. It made sense. And I surrendered my life to Christ and just like 2 Corinthians says, I became a new creature. The old had gone, the new had come. And even while I was in this pretending stage, even while I was pretending to love, God was genuinely loving me and in pursuit of me. And I gave my life to Christ and I became a new creature. C.S. Lewis has this amazing quote on love that really fits home with me. He says, God loved us not because we were lovable, but because he is love. He didn't love us because we were showing some sort of display of love. So he goes, okay, I'll, I'll reciprocate that. No, he loved when we were unlovable which brings us into the gospel of this passage, which if you look with me at verse nine, it says this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live 
through him. This is, this is the definition of love, right? He's saying, here's what love looks like. This is the display of God's love. It's Christ. It's, it's his one and only son. He didn't hold back the greatest gift. He gave the greatest gift. Jesus came, lived the life we couldn't live, died and paid the debt that you and I owed but couldn't pay. And he rose again, proving it had been paid for. And if we put our faith and trust in that, we're made new. And this says we get to live through Christ then. And we go on into verse 10 and he says this, this is love. He's like restating, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's reiterating again, just so you know, this wasn't reciprocation. This wasn't you calling out in love for God one day and God said, oh yeah, you're right. Let me send my son. No, Romans 8 says, while we were still sinners, while we were shaking our fists at God, while we were saying, I don't want you, that's when he sent his son to die. And then he was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. I mean, it would have been unbelievable just to send his son, right? Not only did God send his son, he sent his son to die, but even greater than that, he sent his son to die for sinners. Unbelievable. So if we continue down in the passage in verse 11, he says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So he says, in light of all that we had just talked about, the love of God, the gospel, sending his son, in light of that, we need to love other people. And this is like taking it full circle, right? If you truly know the God of the universe, who is love, and you have an intimate relationship with him, He's commanding, go love people. Go love people. In verse 12, he, he, he makes it even more clear. He says, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. People don't get to look at God. We don't, we don't get to have like this awesome, like great, like sky opening and there's God the Father. No one's ever seen that father yet. But he says, if you want to show people who God is, love each other. Because it's countercultural. It's not something the world does very well. And so if people want to see a difference in the church and in you as a believer, we need to love people. And people are attracted to that. They're so attracted to that. When I was younger, I played on a soccer team, like really little, indoor soccer team. And me and my friend were the only kids who were Christians on the team. And well, let me rephrase that. I wasn't really a Christian. Again, I was being the fake Christian. And just because my friend worked really hard and he was very respectful and he loved the other kids, the coach one day said, hey, what's different? Why are you like that? Why are you respecting authority? Why are you loving other kids? Why do you work really hard? Why do you love people? 
And he got the opportunity as a six-year-old to say, Jesus. Jesus. And that night, his parents went over uh, to that family's house, spent six hours with him into the wee hours of the morning, and those people are now a part of the church. Because he was loving. He was displaying love. True, genuine, God-like love. And for us, it's hard. Like, what does that look like for us? What does it look like to display that kind of love to people? Simple way, how about overlooking offenses? You're at, you're at dinner with your family and the waitress is being really rude to you and she's kind of giving you an attitude, but she saw you pray with your family. Be kind, be generous, tip her at the end of the meal, Right? That's showing love. That's what God did for us, right? Way worse than just a bad attitude at dinner. (laughs) How about looking out for your spouse's interests over your own? I'm bad at that. (laughs) Tell you what. Get home, kick off your shoes, sit on the couch. Hey, honey, what's for dinner? (laughs) Not a good way, right, to display God's love. (laughs) you're going to get to see your wife's display of what? (laughs) But say, no, honey, I'll do the dishes. I know you've had a rough day at work. I'm looking out for your interests over my own. How about loving people who are hard to love? Right? Family members, people in the church, people outside the church. It's hard to love the ones that are hard to love. But man, when we can do that with genuine love that God has called us to, what an amazing picture of the gospel. An amazing picture of the gospel. So in my life, I'm in eighth grade, right? Let's travel back. I'm in eighth grade, and how God is starting to convict me was there was two things that displayed the love of God tremendously. And that was my church family at San Rosa Bible Church at the time, and my family. I had parents and siblings who loved the Lord and were showing the love of Christ every day in my life. And man, I was a horrible, horrible kid to them. And I don't mean just a normal junior high boy. Like, not good. Anytime I got the opportunity to tear my sister down with my words, I took it. Anytime I got to push a button that I knew would push my parents over the edge, I took it. And yet, the faithfulness and the love that I got from my family was the greatest display of God's love. I don't even want to think about how many nights my parents went to sleep crying, wondering where I was at. But man, they were faithful. And they loved me how God was, showed them to love me. And it worked. God used it to convict and to bring me back to himself. 
And so for tonight, kind of just a main point overview, if you could take anything home, this is what it should be. The love of God found in the gospel should motivate us to love other people. The love of God found in the gospel should motivate us to love other people. And if, if you're here tonight and you were like me and you're starting to look at John's test and thinking maybe, maybe I'm not where I thought I was, the job isn't to go out and to love more so that God will love you. That's not the point. The point is to surrender your life to Christ. Because if you don't know Christ, you don't even have the ability to show love. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Father, it's such a privilege to be able to dive into your word, to hear from it. It truly does pierce like a double-edged sword, discerning our hearts, piercing through bone and marrow. And Father, we thank you so much that in your word, we see who we are, desperate and wicked and sinful, who need Jesus. But Father, we thank you so much, even more than that, that in your word, we see Jesus high and lifted up, glorious, that he came and died in our place and rose again so we could have new life, so that the old person could go away and the new person could come and we could start to love people like you call us to love. Father, I pray that as the church and as your, as your bride, that the world can look into these rooms and see an incredible amount of love and that the gospel would go forth and that you would save people from their sins. Father, we love you and we praise you for who you are and what you're doing. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.